Facebook, 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 coffee, <laughs> coffee, coffee, <laughs> Facebook, Facebook, coffee. Bathroom break, coffee, coffee, Facebook. <laughs> That's right. Welcome to Hello PhD, a podcast for scientists and the people who love them. Today on the show, we celebrate the latest Nobel laureates and give you tips for time management in the lab. Stay with us. And we're back. This is Hello PhD, episode 15. I'm Joshua Hall. And I'm Daniel Arneman. And we'll discuss the human side of science and life in the lab. Hello, Daniel. Hello, Josh. Hello, PhD is the name of the podcast <laughs> that you are listening to right now. <laughs> Lots of hellos all around. Uh, Dan, when we started this podcast, your goal was to help people. That is true. I felt bad for all of the grad students still suffering through the plague of graduate school <laughs> now what was your what was your main goal well do you do you remember what my main goal was i have a vague notion because you have this big smile on your face your goal must have been fulfilled recently yes my goal was to have listeners mail us beer and that has happened that has come to pass where is your noisemaker you need to blow your noisemaker <laughs> all right here it comes are you ready yeah, that was very festive <laughs> Um, we had a listener in Madison, Wisconsin, who listens to the podcast and said, they haven't tried any Wisconsin beers yet. They need to. And she was kind enough to mail us some. Yeah. And she did not just mail us one beer. She mailed us four different beers. That was awesome. So we're going to we're gonna have to really crank through these four beers. Well, you know, a couple weeks ago, there was disappointment widely because I didn't drink any beer. So we're going to make up for it a little bit tonight. We're going to drink two different beers tonight stumble out of here what is the first one on our list so the first one that we're going to drink this is brewed right in madison wisconsin so this one goes out to all you badgers this is Did you just do an accent <laughs> how was that that's pretty good for a virginian uh this is the ale asylum ambergeddon oh it sounds dark this one looks pretty badass from the bottle i gotta say um uh, so let me just i just want to read this uh the marketing speak from the top of the label with a fury of hop flavor and a strong malt backbone, this West Coast style amber is part ale, part sensory eruption. It, that explains a lot because my senses just erupted and I couldn't explain why. It's it's pretty good though. It's um, it's a nice. It is a nice amber color. I I wouldn't say it's bringing about the end of the world, but I have to say, this might be my favorite beer that we've had so far on the show. Is that right? I like this beer a lot. It's a little bit toasty. There's like um, I don't know what what the flavor is. It's 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 like uh, it's not hoppy exactly. You know, there's some depth to it. A little bit of malt, uh, but not too much. A little bit of hop, but not too much. So you would consider this a a, a real winner. Uh, this is a winner. I am only sad that I don't think I can buy this here. So I think. And you had to share it with me, which is even worse, right? <laughs> So I had half a bottle of this, yeah. <laughs> which I'm almost done already. Uh, so maybe a trip to Madison, Wisconsin is in order. Let's do it. Our first live show. Hit the road. <laughs> I like it. Let's do it. It was a big day yesterday in my neck of the woods. And what was happening? Well, uh, many of you may know I work at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. And the Nobel laureates, the Nobel Prize winners for chemistry were announced yesterday morning. And one of our own, Dr. Aziz Sanjar, 
was awarded one third of the Nobel Prize in Chemistry. Fantastic! Now, who are the other winners? Uh, I don't know. No, I've got it listed <laughs> there. Is, is I'm I'm going to probably mess up their names. Thomas Lindahl and Paul Modric, and one of them was from Duke. Which Paul is, Modric was from right down the road yeah. in Duke, so within ten miles of my home. Two Nobel laureates in chemistry. Remind now. us what kind of work they did. Yeah, so they all three uh, did work that revolved around DNA repair. You know, it's a Nobel Prize in chemistry, and it's going to biologists. Yeah, and I, mean, and I looked at several past prizes in chemistry, and a lot of them go to biologists. It turns out. Well, you know, I mean, I guess chemistry. There's a lot of chemistry that goes on in the body, right? Yeah, but if you if you got the five a.m. call from Stockholm. And you're a biologist, and they said, you won the Nobel Prize in chemistry. Wouldn't you kind of be like, oh, I'm sorry, I think you have the wrong number? Well, it does come with a $900,000 prize, so. Okay, so I guess you would answer that phone call even though it's early? <laughs> yeah, it, you know, that was actually one thing I did not have a real appreciation for was the process of being awarded a Nobel Prize. So, literally, they call you at 5 a.m. Yeah. Yeah, are you are you preparing yourself for this? Well, you know, I figure getting a call at 5 a.m. means either your child is in jail or you're winning a Nobel Prize. I'll take those odds. <laughs> or actually, when I was in graduate school, we had a, a biosafety level three lab. And every time the pressure, you know, went down beyond a certain point, there was an auto phone call to let us know to come in to fix it. Oh, my gosh. Is there a text service? We'll still have a little PTSD about that. It. Yeah, and, uh, that's terrible. Uh, but, yeah, next time the phone rings, I'm just going to assume it's okay. my Nobel so, Prize. child in jail, biosafety hazard, or Nobel Prize. Exactly. One of the three. Those are good odds. Uh, Fair enough. Now, did he give a speech or anything? He did. So, one thing that was really cool was uh, the press conference to um, celebrate Dr. Sanjar on campus yesterday. It was right across from my office. So, I figure that's something you have to go to. And yeah, so absolutely. I went and he gave a speech and you know, it was it was really great. He is a he is a native of Turkey and he's the first ever Turkish born Nobel laureate. That is amazing. Thought that was pretty cool and um you know, I thought it was really neat. He talked a little bit about how the work that he did on um mismatch repair really, you know, his interest in that started as a graduate student. At the University of Texas. Okay, graduate students, the clock's ticking. The work you're doing now. Start going, yeah. You never know. Uh, but, you know, I also thought it was really cool. Tip of the hat, one of the first things that he did was thank all of the grad students and postdocs that really were behind all of the work. Um, I don't know if he'll share the prize money with them, but at least he gave them a shout out. Yeah, but they, they were at least recognized. It wasn't like, I am the king of science and I have earned this prize. Not at all. Super humble dude. Um I imagine he's a little bit overwhelmed. Uh, actually, a funny moment was the the chancellor of UNC uh, told this story that she called him that more actually met with him yesterday morning and told him that one of the perks of being a Nobel Prize winner that they started a few years ago when we got our first Nobel Prize winner was that you get free parking, a permanent free parking space for life. And he responded, I have a bigger surprise for you. I don't know how to drive. <laughs> oh, he must take the bus <laughs> or walk. Uh, apparently, he's not big into technology. I don't. Yeah. I don't know if he even checks his email. To be well, honest. in a lifetime parking spot. I mean, like in fifteen years, it's going to be like a hover car that <laughs> drops me off. So that's right. But it was cool. It was a cool thing to to behold. Really, I guess one of the top prizes that could be bestowed upon a scientist. So that's really great. And it's all surprise. So scientists out there, you never know that next phone call could be uh, could be your Nobel Prize on the line. I'm going to be sitting by the cell phone. I had some other things I wanted to talk about this week. Let's do it. You know, I have uh, been thinking a lot about how to be successful, not just in the lab, 
but just in general. And one area that I feel like I have grown a lot, an area that I talk to students a lot about, is in time management. I don't know what that is. I've never tried it before. You know, it's ironic. I feel like I'm a much better time manager now than I ever was when I was in the lab. If I could just go back. I know it. I was I was thinking about time management a lot this week. And I was like, you know, a typical day for me in the lab was such a mess of, of starting this. And while that incubated, I moved over here. I mean, did you did you keep a calendar when you were a grad student? I don't think so. I don't like having calendars now. You know, I'm... I'm really, really beholden to my calendar these days, but I don't think it was until I started my my permanent job after postdoc that I really started keeping a calendar, which is too bad. Uh, that's not what I'm going to say for everyone else to do, but I just say that time management is an area where I've experienced a lot of growth <laughs> in the last few years. Now, are there some tips that, that people in the lab can put to work to help them manage? Yeah, one of the things I wanted to do in the show today is I actually have two very concrete tips that have been useful for me personally in the last few years for time management that I just wanted to share with our listeners. Let's do it. So the first one um, has to do with the time log. And, you know, like a (laughs) sounds like start date 2715 time log. That's right. We encountered uh, aliens on soul 49 for anybody who saw the Martian. Oh, I haven't watched it yet. It was good. Don't ruin it. Spoiler alert. I read the book. It's fine. So, yeah, the first is the concept of a time log. And I think before I think you can really get into managing your time, you have to be aware of how you spend your time in the first place. And so the first strategy that I found was to actually take some time, actually devote some energy into just assessing how do you go about your day normally now? How do you spend your time now? And so what you can do is, you know, you could do this on paper or you could start a spreadsheet where you really divide your day into... 15-minute increments, and then spend about three days, about once an hour, going back and just making note of realistically what did you do during each of those 15-minute increments for the entire day. Facebook, 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 coffee, (laughs) coffee, coffee, (laughs) Facebook, Facebook, coffee. Exactly. That might be what you find, right? Uh, And I think, you know, what happened for me when I did this? Bathroom break, coffee, coffee, Facebook. (laughs) That's right. That's right. Um, was you often are surprised you don't realize how much time that you waste or how much time goes to things that really don't move you towards your goal or towards the types of things that you want to do. And so, you know, maybe you're out there and you feel like I just don't have enough time to get the things done that I want to get done. Well, so what this can do is doing a time log can help you identify areas where you may be losing time on things that really are not all that useful to you. Can we take two steps back here? And just establish why time management might matter for somebody in a lab. I mean, do you, do you hear from students like, I just cannot get my stuff done or I'm in my seventh year and I just wish I hadn't wasted it all on the first three? Yeah, I think time management is one of the key strategies. You know, I think people who are good time managers in graduate school probably move more quickly through graduate school um, because there's so many different things you have to juggle as a graduate student. You know, even right off the bat as a starting graduate student, especially, you know, maybe you're doing rotations, so you're trying to get up to speed in a new area. You're taking classes, so you're trying to juggle the demands of coursework, maybe multiple courses. 
Um, at the same time, you're just, you know, you've got your life that you're still, you know, maybe you've moved to a new place. You're trying to get settled and established somewhere new. Boxes in the kitchen you've never unpacked. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, a lot of students are often doing things like writing fellowships, writing grants that you're trying to fit that in to time in between. And so really, you know, the better you can manage those things and juggle those things, you know, the more quickly you'll move forward. And even once you're more established in the lab, you know, often, you know, you don't just have one project that you move stepwise through. You may have multiple irons in the fire, multiple um, projects you're working on that you're bouncing back and forth between. And so your ability to manage those and prioritize those efficiently um, can be really useful, not to mention, you know, something we talk about all the time here on the show, and that is the importance of also devoting time to not just being in the lab, but seeking out other opportunities to build skills beyond the bench, to research careers, to do things like informational interviews, workshops. It can be hard. I think a lot of times why people don't take advantage of those, why students or postdocs don't take advantage of those is they feel overwhelmed. They feel like, well, I just don't have time to go do those things. We we heard that a lot. And we heard that in the postdoc interviews. I remember very distinctly uh, while I was a graduate student in lab that I, you know, I felt that my productivity was not fantastic. And I watched, we had a postdoc who had two kids. Her husband was also a scientist. They were on such tight schedules. They had, one of them dropped the kids off at, you know, 8 a.m. And they showed up to lab. And then they had to be out by four or five. And I thought, oh, you know, they're not staying till 9 p.m. at night. They're not in on the weekends. And they've, they've got such a tight schedule. They can't extend it and just pick the kids up from daycare six hours late. But but this postdoc got way more done than anybody else in the lab. And I think it's, it's that constraint that really made her productive. Yeah, kids are a good way to force your hand with becoming a good time manager. That's true. Um, but, you know, I really do think the more you can, the better manager you are of your time, the more space you have to actually do the things that are important to you and to your career and to meeting your goals. That makes sense. So step one, take some notes about how you're spending your time and not just notes like, oh, I think I spend like a lot of my time at the bench, but but actually document in real time. Okay, I checked my email for 15 minutes and then I talked to the guy in the lab next door about what movie he watched this weekend. Yeah, and it's important to note that the time log is only helpful if you are brutally honest with it. And so almost pretend like your research project, you're a researcher observing yourself, right? Like a Jane Goodall of you. Exactly. I like that. Exactly. And again, you're the only one who's going to see this. So um, this is for you and this is helpful. And it doesn't have to be ongoing. You don't have to do this for the rest of your life like you're writing a diary. Yeah, no, this this is is three three days. Introspection for a day or two days or three days. Absolutely. Three days and you should get all the information you need. Um, So be honest about it. And then the second thing is don't wait until the end of the day or don't wait three or four hours later to look back and fill it in. You want to really, as often as you can, you know, I think maybe doing it every 15 minutes could be a little intrusive, but at least once an hour, fill in what did you do in 15-minute increments. Um, If you can do it every 30 minutes, that's great too. I feel like the Heisenberg uncertainty principle is going to come into play here because if I know I have to write down what I did in the last 15 minutes, (laughs) I will probably actually do some work because I don't want to to write down another coffee, coffee, (laughs) chatting about the Martian. (laughs) When Excel keeps uh, auto-filling Facebook or (laughs) Twitter in your cell. Just fill cells down. That's fine. We're done. 
Yeah, so you know, I think that's important first step to really identify what are my main time wasters, uh, what are the things I'm doing that really aren't helpful to meeting my goals, and then also as importantly, are there things that I need to be doing? Are there certain goals I have that I'm really not doing, putting any time into that I need to be adding in? Perfect, perfect segue because we are late for beer number two. It is time. So, uh, what's our second beer of the night, Dan? We are going to sample Summit Brewing Company Oktoberfest. And this one's a bit of a, you know, this is out of left field. This is from St. Paul, Minnesota, which is not in Wisconsin the last time I checked. Minnesota. First Minnesota beer. A little bit different character than the first one, but but a nice compliment. Yeah, the, a lot less hops, um, but definitely a, a rich flavor. Um, I, I love an Oktoberfest. This yeah. just... It tastes like fall. Tastes like fall to me. I wish I had some leaves to crunch under my feet here. And uh, I wish you guys could could see this here, but it, I mean, we are full on fall here. I've got the windows open here. You can hear the uh, the night creatures out the window. Josh is up to his elbow in a pumpkin. <laughs> oh, it's the great pumpkin. Hello, PhD. There it is. Okay, so let's get on to the next piece of time management now that we have successfully set our goals for the evening. Yes, so this is one that I'm really excited about because I really started doing this about two years ago. This is a time management technique that I discovered um, actually through an app. And so this is called, when when I looked into the technique itself, it's called the Pomodoro Technique. That sounds like a word origin I'm going to want to look up. Yeah, this is one I thought you might know. So pomodoro is an Italian word that means... Tomato, right? It means tomato. Very good. So tomatoes are not well known for managing their time, but... No, so this is one of those with a funny story behind it. So this technique was coined, or at least the term was coined in the early 90s by a guy who was a developer and entrepreneur, and his name was Francesco Cirillo. Pardon my Italian. But he named it... Pomodoro because he used a tomato-shaped timer to track his own work when he was a college student. It's like those little egg timer or the kitchen timers that are tomato-shaped. Is that what he used? That's exactly what he used. The Pomodoro. And so um, what he's defined a Pomodoro to be is a 25-minute unit of time. This is a unit of measure now? It is. The Pomodoro is 25 minutes. Now, I believe there can be some flexibility in what your unit of time is that you use, but I think 25 minutes is a good starting point. If you're traveling near the speed of light, that will be <laughs> one point relativity joke. I know those go over really well. Yeah. So, so anyway, here's how it works. So if you're faced with a large task or a series of tasks, what you do is you prioritize the task. So you could think about, you know, those of you who make your to-do lists, which is another key thing you should be doing, is you look at your to-do list, and if there are tasks that are large... Um, or a series of tasks that are small, you break them down into these 25-minute chunks, right? And the idea Pomodoros. is... Or a Pomodoro. And the idea is you set this timer for 25 minutes, or you set a timer for 25 minutes, and you focus only on that task for a 25-minute period. And so this is actually key. So focus is absolutely the key here. Distraction is the enemy for this technique. So it's not as if I'm I'm setting my timer... 
and I'm starting to write my grant and then a Facebook notification comes in. So I make sure that that's okay. And then my wife texts me. So I'm okay. And then we're back to the grant again. You have failed at the Pomodoro. The coffee. I got to get the coffee and then the grant. And then, yeah. So what's key here, and, and I honestly do this, and it makes all the difference in the world, is when you start that timer and you start on that task, as much as you can, eliminate any and all distractions that could come your way. And so even new hello phd episodes with the just, exception of that okay with the exception of that uh, those you're going to want to listen to right away Set i think we're pomodoro going timer. we're going to want to trim our episodes to make sure that they're within 25 minutes we should do it one pomodoro that's right so for example you certainly want to maybe put the cell phone away for 25 minutes or right turn in, the yeah. notifications off on your computer no matter what operating system you use there is a way and actually I learned how to turn off notifications on my Mac OS when I started doing this. And there's a simple way to do it. And so then you just focus on that task for 25 minutes. And what is amazing, and this amazed me, is how much I was able to accomplish in that 25 minutes, whether I was writing or editing or planning or whatever it was that I was working on. With no distractions, you can really surprise yourself at how much you can get done. Now, the other key is... You might say, well, I like to, you know, am I just going to work solid all day? Well, no, the other key to this technique is to take short breaks between the 25-minute units of time, between the Pomodoros. So often what's recommended is you do your 25 minutes of work and then take a five-minute break. Kind of a little reward. Exactly. Now, I have, if I had a big task and I was feeling uh, really on a roll at the end of 25 minutes, I might queue it up for another 25 minutes and just keep going. An additional Pomodoro. Exactly. Uh, I call that a, a double Pomodoro. Yeah, I like that. Um, however, at the end of four or five Pomodoros, give yourself a longer break, 15 minutes, 30 minutes. And the other thing that I do is I know I'm addicted to email, as maybe other people are. So I know that I want to check my email. I know I want to keep up with my email. So every two or three Pomodoros I schedule in, I'm going to just do email for 25 minutes. And so you actually get even more done with those types of things. You have 25 minutes of emails to do? Well, sometimes. It depends. Uh, So I want to say, you know, one one reason why I think this works is there's been more and more research lately about um, the myth of multitasking. Yeah, the idea that, oh, I can actually, if I switch my focus 30 or 40 times per minute, yeah, I can get more done. You know, I think a lot of people will say, I'm a great multitasker. Yeah. You know, people say that is, you know, it's almost like we feel like whether it's in the lab or in other, um, you know, in other places in life that we should actually be able to multitask well, that that's something uh, that we should aspire to. But what the research has started to show is that the more you try to multitask or the more you try to switch back and forth, because really your brain can't really focus on two things simultaneously. It's right. just your ability to switch back and forth quickly between them. One thing them. at a time, yeah. Absolutely. And so, you know, one study that, that I was looking at came out, is by a guy, Clifford Nass, who was at Stanford. And so this was a another PNAS paper. We'll link this in the show notes, but it's called Cognitive Control in Media Multitaskers. And so what they did was they actually took college students and they observed their multitasking habits. Or their quickly switching habits. Their quickly switching habits. And they divide them into two groups, the heavy and the light multitaskers. This is not a weight thing. This is just... 
<laughs> no, how they are multitasking. How often and to what degree they multitasked. And so what they found, and actually this is what's interesting, going into it, their hypothesis was that the more frequent multitaskers would actually do better at task switching, would actually, when given a series of tasks, would be able to complete them more efficiently than right. the light Practice multitaskers. Practice makes perfect. Exactly. But what they found was the exact opposite. And so I want to read this from the paper. They said, results showed that heavy media multitaskers are more susceptible to interference from irrelevant environmental stimuli and from irrelevant representations in memory. This led to the surprising result that heavy media multitaskers performed worse on a test of task switching ability, likely due to a reduced ability to filter out interference from the irrelevant task set. By being constantly aware of the next ping on your phone and switching to it, now you can't tune it out and get anything done, really. Exactly. And what was extra fascinating about this was that not only were they unable to do task switching as well, but in the series of tasks given in the paper, only one of them actually involved task switching. So the people who had the habits of constantly uh, switching back and forth between different stimuli were not as efficient at focusing in general when given a task where they had to focus. I, it seems like you're advocating more broadly for just tuning out some of the distractions. You don't need a tomato-shaped timer for this, but... But I, I feel like what you're saying is recognize that this constant awareness of what's going on in Facebook and Twitter and email and, and constantly checking it is actually making us worse at getting anything done. Absolutely. And so and this is this is what I do because I'm I really enjoy my social media. Yes, you do. As well as anyone does. But I I plan that out. So if anything, I focus for a shorter period of time on social media when I'm doing my social media time. That's my social media time. But really, I think the idea, the take-home message is to really prioritize your day, prioritize your time, think about what are the things I need to accomplish, and then focus on them one thing at a time. And what I think you'll find is that you accomplish them much more quickly, much more efficiently than you did when you tried to multitask. And now just to address the, the worst-case scenario, when you've come back after 25 minutes, have you been unfriended by everyone you <laughs> knew and you missed the, you know the plague that was breaking out across your town and you should have known about it right in time? Well, I'm happy to report that... Facebook didn't blow up while you were away? That I've experienced no uh, no lack of enjoyment from social media by waiting an extra 25 minutes to get caught up on what's happening. I'm so going to unfriend you if you just... if you miss my message five <laughs> minutes. So give it a try. And if you do and you like it, let us know. Uh, send us a, a tweet or an email and let us know how this works for you. Or if you've got your own time management strategy, we'd love to hear it. One of the other things we'll do is on the show notes, we'll post some links to some online timers. If you want a Pomodoro timer of your own, I actually downloaded a free app that puts a cute little tomato up in uh, up on the top of my screen and gives a nice little uh, digital ring that sounds like a... Uh, a mechanical tomato timer. Like a tomato crying. <laughs> I don't know cute. what sounds tomatoes make. That's it's fine. cute. Okay. Well, let's move on to this week's etymology puzzle. Are you ready? I'm ready for it. So the clue last week was ancient Greeks with this disease must have been thankful for their togas. They took a wide stance while water passed right through them. Any guesses? I just imagine how breezy a toga would be when you... Yeah. Give me this. I feel I feel very bad about this clue this week because when I actually checked, 
Uh, the Greeks didn't wear togas. They wore chitons and stolas and whatever. Basically, it's the same thing, effectively. But they weren't called togas. That was the Romans. That so, explains all the angry emails. Please that we got stop from... the hate mail <laughs> for the etymology puzzle. Very sorry. Um, but do you have a guess for the disease? Any any ideas for diseases that would make water pass through you? You know, I was uh, thinking a little bit about incontinence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're getting. You're onto something. the The actual answer is diabetes. That is the answer for this week's puzzle. Explain, Dan. Okay, so one of the symptoms of diabetes is what we call polyuria. So you urinate a lot. Um, and when they observed this in Greek, you know, kind of ancient Greece, they came up with this word, dia, which is through, and banin, which is to go. So to go through, they used it to refer to a siphon. So there are several forms of diabetes. All of them involve this frequent urination. And uh, so basically, this word diabetes means to have water go through you and and the wide stance is a little bit odd so i threw this in you know i always i always called it the sugars the sugars yeah so there's a certain form of diabetes where the the osmotic potential of of sugar is pulling the water into your kidneys and and that's what makes you urinate a lot um because of of this disease there is this word diabanin which came to mean a drafting compass. You know what a compass is? Like to draw circles? I do, yes. And it has its its legs wide apart. Interesting. That's, that name came to mean a drafting compass. Totally bizarre, but diabetes, drafting compasses, they're tied together by these words. Very cool. Are you ready for next week's puzzle? Lay it on me. This one is for those of you who have been listening to the Hello PhD podcast for several weeks in a row because you will get all of these obscure references all right so this one's gonna dig back into the archives as the co-host you have been listening to most of these shows yeah i'm probably the only one that fits that bill okay here we go if a two-headed mouse runs up your arm and a three-headed mouse runs down your arm what are the names of the mice is that not bizarre i'll read it again this sounds like a gre problem it is a gre problem if it's not on there it needs to be okay here's the clue again if a two-headed mouse runs up your arm and a three-headed mouse runs down your arm, what are the names of the mice? Remember, we're looking for a scientific word, and in this case, two words, described by the clue. Once you get it, you'll find that the literal meaning of that science word is a phrase in the clue itself. If you think you know the answer, email it to puzzle at hellophd.com. We'll randomly select a winner from all the correct responses and send the lucky puzzler an iTunes gift card. And you really do send that gift card. It actually goes out. Lots of people have won. Yeah. Well, I'm going to think a lot about I like that clue. That's a good clue. You're going to work on it, and you're going to get it, and I'm going to send you a gift card. <laughs> I may not sleep tonight thinking about those, those multi-headed mice. You know these words. I know you know these words. You just haven't figured out the clue yet. So, Dan, this was a great show, and um, I've had plenty of beer tonight. Glad to hear it. That's not not a bad thing. I wanted to say special thank you to our listener in Madison, Wisconsin for sponsoring our brew for this week. You too may send us some beer if there's a beer we have not had that you would like for us to have on the show. You may and you must. (laughs) Send us an email, but also send us an email if you have an idea for a future show or thoughts on a past show, and we would love to to hear them. You can reach us podcast at hellophd.com, tweet at us at hellophd, or find us on Facebook. And you can now listen to us on Stitcher. We finally have our, our page up. You can find that on the website. 
We are on the Stitcher, the iTunes, and most other places that you get your podcast. You can even subscribe by email if you're 85 years old or you're me. <laughs> that is right. Or Dr. Sanjar. There we go. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back at you next week. We'll see you then. Bye. Time's up. Dan, it was a big day yesterday in my parts. Is that right? <laughs> I'm going to edit that one out. <laughs> <laughs>